This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Right now, the latest data on the trade deficit is out. We're hearing from the chairman of the Fed as well. Bob Brusca is joining us, chief economist at Fact and Opinion Economics based in New York. Bob, let's begin with the trade deficit. It is uh, shrinking, and well, it seems like it's probably pretty good news, or is it? Uh, well, yeah, it's good news because of the way that it uh, shrunk. Uh, Cisco, the deficit came in at $67.1 billion, down from $81.4 billion. That's a very, very large month-to-month contraction. And what makes it good news is uh, it occurred because uh, exports grew sharply. Merchandise exports grew by 11.1% month-to-month, while merchandise imports rose by only 0.7%. Now, the one thing you want to worry a little bit about is that's a pretty weak import number. If the economy is growing well, you'd like to see imports a little bit stronger. Imports typically grow 2 to 2.5% two stronger than GDP. And we're coming out of a pretty strong GDP quarter. So um, we certainly would have expected to see better imports than that. We're expecting a big pickup in GDP the next quarter. So this is not the time of year we expect to see such weak imports. Um, we know we've had port problems and other things going on, uh, but port problems cut both ways. They should affect both exports and imports. So are we uh, then in, in this number, the export and import number, are we seeing maybe the global economy, other economies that are rebounding in a way that might be better than ours? Is that maybe why that's reflected in there? Well, you know, it's possible, except that China is having a slowdown. Europe is having difficulties. It's not exactly clear uh, where these exports have gone. Export and import data can be lumpy. And uh, exports did fall by 3% a month ago. And so to have them climb by 8% this month, that then is only a net of 5% over two months or 2.5% per month. That's beginning to look a little bit normal. So I, I tend to chalk this up more to uh, volatility than to true good news. Let's talk about what the Fed is saying. Jerome Powell talking about the Omicron variant, I guess just acknowledging that as long as it is unknown, it is still a threat to the economy. Uh, yeah, well, you know, uh, you just you just played a, a little thought from, uh, from uh, Anthony Fauci saying that uh, he thinks that it might be good news. And I, I hope that it is good news. I hope that the Omicron virus isn't going to be as uh, as damaging as uh, as some of the other ones. But it is highly transmissible, and we're still waiting to see how this is going to shake out. And as we see um, a, a a the three things that the Fed chairman said, you know that you you could end up with prices continuing to rise. You could have job growth hurt. The supply chain crisis could get worse. That's if Omicron doesn't end up being a good thing. Uh, let's talk about those rising prices. Uh, the fact that this inflation continues to go, uh, it's eating into just about every area of the economy. Yes, it is. Uh, the inflation is high. It's stubborn. Um, we're hoping that we've seen the worst of it. It's going to settle down and get milder, but we don't know uh, how quickly it's going to go down or where it's going to settle at. You know, we're, we're so far above the target that 
it's pretty clear it's going to linger at undesired excessive levels for a while. So um, uh, we just have to live with that. And monetary policy is getting ready to taper a little bit faster and possibly to raise rates a little bit sooner. So, um, you know, that's all on our plate. And today, however, the stock market has one focus. It's Omicron. It's the good news. And so stocks are up sharply. And so enjoy while it lasts. Thanks so much, Bob Bruska, Chief Economist at Fact and Opinion Economics. Most of the tech companies that have gone public in 2021 have seen their stock values drop, and some of them significantly. We're joined by Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk, based here in Chicago. Uh, Michael, so why these tech IPOs struggling? What's going on here? Well, good afternoon, Cisco, and thanks again for having me on. You know, the, the thing to distinguish here. Uh, with these IPOs is, and you know, their original IPO price, which means where they actually raise money, their IPO open, which is where the stock started trading and investors could actually get in that didn't get in on the IPO, and then the all-time highs. So the story, you can look at it many different ways, and Coinbase is a great example. So Coinbase IPO price was 250 okay, and that's where they raised money. But it opened in the 300. So if you're an investor that bought the open, which is when most investors can get in, you're underwater. And the all-time high in the stock is close to is close to 400. So, you know, right now the stock's trading 280. 280 is still 10% over where the IPO price is. So there's there's multiple stories here to look at, and I think it it says that if you were shrewd about when you got in. You're doing fine. If you bought the 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 froth and the and the craziness, then you're underwater. And most of these tech IPOs, if you bought, you know, in the summer or in the spring, you're underwater. And and that just shows that you have to be shrewd about when you're getting in on these names. And it just got way ahead of itself, very bubbly. And now, especially in the fourth quarter here, you've had a huge sell-off in a lot of these names. Most of these names don't make any money. They have sales and they their price to sales numbers are like 20 to 1, 50 to 1. These are not names. These are spec names, speculative names. So you have to be very careful in buying these names that their story is going to actually play out the way they say. And what the market's saying right now is show me the money. Show me the story that it's going to play out. And finally, fourth quarter was a sobering quarter where a lot of these names just got taken out to the woodshed. Is there a risk when you get into an IPO uh, at the very beginning? Is there a risk that you kind of get locked into it and, and you end up losing money on this? Because if you're locked into that stock, I mean, if it drops, you're, you're just got to kind of hold it for a while. Yeah. So if you're locked in in certain situations, if you buy the open, you're not certainly, but then you're, then you're usually buying above the IPO price. And so the, you know, the best thing and what we do here at MJP Capital is we get in on a lot of private deals before they go to market. And so by the time they go to IPO, you know, you're, you're sitting on a pretty good profit and you're okay. But for most investors, you want to try to get on the, in on the IPO at its pricing um, prior to going public. So, you know, where it gets offered. Then if you, get, if you start buying IPOs when it opens, a lot of times they open 30, 40, 50% higher than where the, the company actually raised money. So then you need more momentum behind it. 
And quite honestly, sometimes the bigger fool to follow up after you to push the stock even higher. And what's happened is we've run out of fools here at the end here and in the fourth quarter. And, and a lot of these names are just getting killed. There will be some of these names like Coinbase that has, has gone from 360 to 280 in, in the last quarter. Those names can rally back because they have earnings. They're legitimate. They're, you know, it's based on crypto, but still it's, it's, a, it's a legitimate company. But some of these names are going to zero. And, you know, it's just that's just the, the, the you know, the market is, is, is uh, it may seem unfair, but it really is fair. I'll go back to a Benjamin Graham quote, and he said that short term in, uh, uh, the market is a voting machine, which means that popular names can go up in price. But long-term, it's a weighing machine, and that means that long-term, you have to look at what the company is really going to earn, and it ends up, the price ends up going to a fair value based on the financials. And that's what we're seeing here, is that finally the bubble is bursting, and, and not all these IPOs are going to the moon, and, and you know, investors, are, some are, are getting burned. Thanks so much for the insight. That's Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital. Making sense of your dollars. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The holidays are prime time for thieves looking to steal personal information from credit card users. Let's get some help from Ted Rossman, industry analyst at creditcards.com. Uh, Ted, I mean, a lot of us are spending money here at the holidays. What's the first, maybe most important thing we should know to avoid this kind of fraud? I think the most important tip is that credit cards are a lot safer than debit cards because credit cards are just a line of credit. It's the bank's money up until you pay them back. So if there's any kind of fraud or if there's a problem with merchandise and you have to make a dispute, it's not real money that's left your account like it would be with a debit card and a checking account. And so you need to be careful like that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, are there ways that you use these cards that you should keep in mind? I mean, I know a lot of people are just using them on their phone right now. Yeah, actually, mobile payments, things like Apple Pay, Google Pay, those are actually more secure than dipping the card itself or typing in the number because mobile payments involve some kind of biometrics. You prove it's you because of a unique identifier. Maybe depending on the kind of phone you have, it's your thumbprint or a scan of your face or something like that. So mobile wallets are good. Virtual cards are another tip. So virtual cards are basically like dummy or temporary card numbers. City offers these, Capital One offers these, PayPal actually has something called PayPal Key that's a really useful example and workaround. It conceals your real card number. So when there's fraud, it keeps it really, really contained. Then you don't have to reset all of your automated payments, for example. It can be a really useful way to generate a disposable card number, especially if you're shopping on an unfamiliar website that you're not sure that you trust. And a lot of those come from uh, social media, right, where you'll, you'll see some sort of an advertisement. Hey, here's a great deal. Come and get it. And then you go there and you think you make a purchase and you've really just given your card number to a scammer. Those scams are definitely something to watch out for. They take a few different forms, but yeah, the one you're outlining is basically preying on the supply chain disruptions. Like it's really hard to find a new PlayStation or Xbox right now. If you happen to find one on a sketchy site that all the major players are sold out and there's some random site that has it, I would be very wary of that. That would either be a time to steer clear 
or certainly protect yourself by using a credit card, maybe using a virtual card number. It may be too good to be true. Um, so that's one scam that goes around. Another one are phishing emails. And I've gotten some of these myself where somebody's pretending to be Amazon or the postal service or somebody like that. Oftentimes the tip off is that there's maybe some weird misspellings or the logo's not quite right or there's some grammatical mistake. Uh, the return address is not legitimate. Don't click on these and give them any sensitive information. They're trying to get you to type in your password or your card number, your bank account number, something sensitive. So don't fall for that. Thanks so much. That is Ted Rossman, industry analyst at creditcards.com. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Markets doing really well today. The Dow up 505, NASDAQ up 467, and the S&P is up 95 points. Let's see what's going on. Hugh Johnson is here, chairman and chief investment officer at Hugh Johnson Advisors, based in Albany, New York. Hugh, what do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today? Well, it's been quite a day on Wall Street. It's been quite a day for the, the overall market, but it's been a particularly big day for technology stocks, which, of course, have been under some pressure recently. So we've got a big move up in technology and in the NASDAQ 100. You see that up over 3% right now. Uh, we don't get days like this very often, so it's really a big plus day on top of a, a plus day yesterday, and that has been really two big days on Wall Street. You don't see this come along very often. Big day. And as we're seeing this, I mean, is it uh, certain sectors doing well? Are we seeing this pretty broad-based today? It's pretty broad-based, but you've got uh, technology is number one. That's uh, that's really the, the, the part of the market that's really uh, performing the best today. But it's very broad-based. I mean, you have just about every sector of the market. And in fact, I think every sector of the market is, as we would say, in the green, which means they're they're all up. So we're staging a very big recovery, and it's based on – the belief that the uh, Omicron virus, uh, the Omicron variant, is not going to have a crippling effect on the uh, U.S. economy and, and, for that matter, even the global economy. So I think it's being very upbeat, very optimistic about uh, where we're going as far as the virus is concerned, and also very upbeat that the uh, comments made by uh, Chairman Powell of the Federal Reserve that the Federal Reserve is going to move a little quicker on uh, getting to raising interest rates. I think the belief is that uh, that's not going to derail the current recovery. So the current recovery is is in good shape, and the stock market is reflecting that by going up very, very sharply. Now, you don't necessarily want to encourage people to be uh, day traders. I mean, a lot of people are, but it's risky. Mm -hmm. uh, but on days when we get hit, like, like we've had a couple of those days lately, uh, is that an opportunity to go in and, and maybe pick up some really good stocks a little more cheaply? Yeah, I think it is. It's in hindsight, of course, and in hindsight, you could say it is an opportunity and you should pick up stocks. But I think the reason is not so much because we get these dips in the stock market. I think the principal reason is, is if you ask the question, which is the key question, do we have further to go in the current stock market? Uh, business or economic interest rate cycle. And the answer to that question, when you look at all the numbers, is that I think we do have further to go. And then it's particularly true if you look at things like the index of leading economic indicators that tells us where the economy is going, not where it's been. And that index has been up for 18 successive months. So every, everything right now points to a further to go in the current cycle, and that's good news for investors. Uh, what do you make of the export-import numbers? you you got the trade deficit shrinking. Is that a, a sign of maybe a, a growing global economy? Is that good or are there some challenges there? 
Well, there are always challenges, and that that is good news because what it did show is that we saw a very significant increase in exports and a significant increase in imports, meaning, the, quite frankly, the demand around the globe, not just in the U.S., is very strong. Now, I, I would warn everybody that that's one month's numbers, and they were pretty unusual, very strong for one month, and those numbers are going to tend to be fairly volatile, so don't be surprised if next month we don't see numbers as strong as these very unusually strong numbers, but nevertheless, it says that global demand is very positive now, and the thing you worry about now is not global demand. What you worry about is global supply or the so-called supply chain interruptions, but those actually seem to be getting a little bit better. You see that particularly in the automobile industry where we see a lot of the plants in the U.S., particularly at General Motors, are starting to reopen. So it looks like supply chain disruptions are starting to get, I don't say they're, they're great, but they're starting to improve, and that's good news. Global demand uh, looks like the supply might be able to respond to that very strong demand. Do you see uh, anything attractive in the travel sector or maybe even that sector in general, given the fact that it seems as though Omicron is not going to be as bad as initially thought? You would certainly think so. You would certainly think so in the travel sector, the airline stocks, for example. You think about it in the accommodation and leisure and hospitality. All of those kinds of sectors of the market should do a little bit better. Uh, I think really the number one thing, though, is to keep in mind that we're talking about an economy that's expanding globally and expanding in the U.S., and under those conditions, you want to make sure you stay with things that are so-called economically sensitive. That would include technology and consumer discretionary at the top of the list, and those are sectors that are really performing well. So. You know, there's a lot there's a lot that's positive there. It's not going to go you a straight line up, but there's a lot right now that's fairly positive in the market, and it points to a cycle that's got further to go. Thanks so much. That is Hugh Johnson, Chairman and Chief Investment Officer at Hugh Johnson Advisors. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Travel Tuesday on the Noon Business Hour this afternoon, helping you plan a trip of a lifetime, an African safari. Let's get some advice from Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors, the website travelbta.com. Uh, Angie, the, the first thing before we get into some of the reasons to book this or, or the ways to book this and actually make it a success, uh, some people are thinking, hey, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Is an African safari even feasible at this point in time? Right. Absolutely. Some of the recent news, uh, South Africa in particular, other African countries um, with some recent uh, variant discovery. But at the same time, big picture during the pandemic, it's actually been a popular destination for those that are a little more uh, risk adverse because knowing once you get there, you're going to be experiencing these safaris where you're out um, exploring in the open air with very few people. Most of these excursions are private or very, very small groups. 
So if we decide, all right, fine, we're willing to do this, and it really is a trip of a lifetime, uh, what are some of the things that people have to get past in order to actually do it? Some people have cold feet because they're not just sure that, uh, well, for example, that it's that it's safe to take an African safari. Right. I mean, obviously, there's a couple of logistics that you really have to um, wrap your head around, starting with the travel time. Getting to Africa is not easy from the United States. So you have to build that into your trip. And a lot of times people add some comfort by overnighting in London for a couple of days or doing the same in Dubai, either on the front end or back end. Also, you do have to be aware of, depending on where you're traveling, it might require that you take malaria pills or other vaccinations in addition to the vaccination that we're all aware of presently. And in choosing your country, I think there are opportunities to visit multi-countries, but during a pandemic, I think it's more advisable to choose the country that interests you the most. For people who want to go on the African safari, they want to see a lot of animals, but they also want to be comfortable. Uh, Is that an option or do you have to rough it if you're going to do this? Absolutely. I mean, quite the opposite. I would say that a safari experience is a luxury experience. There are five-star and ultra-luxury properties, and they cater to your every need. There, a lot of the um, itineraries will include, you know, obviously trekking by Jeep or even by foot in some instances during the early hours and then doing the same at night. So what are you doing during the day? You're at these beautiful lodges enjoying their amenities, whether that's a spa treatment, indulging in their wonderful cuisine, or swimming by the pool. So it is a destination that obviously the focus is on seeing the big five, but at the same time, you're staying at these lodges that offer incredible amenities. Thanks so much. Really good insight. Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors. You can find her online, travelbta.com. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Chicago's Magnificent Miles taking a big hit from crime and empty storefronts. There's an effort to help the famed shopping district stage a comeback. Let's learn more from Albie Galoon, senior reporter at Crane's Chicago Business. Uh, Albie, let's talk about vacancies first so we can understand just how bad things are on the Mag Mile. Yeah, hi, Cisco. Um yeah, the, the Mag Mile is uh, really going through a very difficult time right now. There have been some major stores that have shut down, including Macy's, The Gap, Uniqlo. And um, this year, the vacancy rate has, has gotten up past 26%, which is more than double its level in 2018. And so this, you know, this was kind of going on before the pandemic as more people did, did their shopping online. But the pa- pandemic and the civil unrest of last year uh, really just took their toll. So 26%, pretty significant. Obviously, a lot of local leaders are noticing that. Uh, this panel's convening to try to come up with some ideas to move things forward on the Mag Mile. What, what are some of their ideas? Well, the big one is the city really needs to address the crime issue. Um, uh, there've been obviously a lot of reports over the last several months about shootings and thefts. And, um, you know, this panel that was formed by the urban land Institute to, you know, take a look at Michigan Avenue and come up with ideas. You know, they, they, they made it clear that this is something that needs to get under control because, 
you know, people aren't going to come and shop on Michigan Avenue if they don't feel safe. So the crime, though, that I mean, it ends up being difficult because you don't necessarily just want cops in every storefront, right? They, they need to figure out a way to do this in a way that actually makes shoppers feel safe. Yeah, you know, obviously uh, having a police presence there uh, probably doesn't look so great if you're a shopper. But I think that, um, you know, the city the city needs to make it clear that, um you know, they are uh, keeping a close eye on, on what's happening there and, and that, um, you know, that, that, you know, people who, um, you know, who are going to commit crimes, they, they need to know that they're, um, you know, that they're cops on the street to, uh, you know, to, to protect the retailers and to protect the people who are shopping there. Yeah, there's a deterrent for sure. Um, okay, so if they do get a handle on the crime, they still need to do something to attract shoppers there. Any any thoughts on how to get more people to at least walk around the Mag Mile? Yeah, I think that you know one of the things that they they uh, they're they're suggesting and looking at is uh, encouraging more uh, experiential retailers to come to Michigan Avenue. And this is something that's kind of already underway. We've seen um, new, new kind of entertainment concepts like the office experience and um, the Museum of Ice Cream actually is, is a new one. They're going to be opening up next year in Tribune Tower. And, um, you know, that will be one way to kind of re-energize the avenue and fill some of the, uh, the empty space. Uh, another thought is to create some kind of architectural feature at the north end of Michigan Avenue that would um, just, uh, you know, generate some excitement. Um, you know, the, the, the person who I talked to, the head of the Mag Mile Association, was suggesting that, you know, the city really needs to go big and do something like Millennium Park on the north end of Michigan Avenue. So obviously that takes a lot of money. These things are just ideas that are being tossed out there. Who knows if they will ever come to fruition? But you know, this is—I uh, I, think—I think it's pretty clear that um, that the city and the people in the real estate business and retail business need to do some brainstorming to come up with ideas. Thanks so much, Albie Galoon, senior reporter at Crane's Chicago Business. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.